Welcome to Redefiners, a podcast designed for daring leaders who are changing what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. I'm Nanas Motoshami, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates. And I'm Clark Murphy, Chief Executive Officer. Nanas and I have spent our careers exploring what works and what's next in the realm of leadership. In each episode, we ask our guests deep and provocative questions about how they've challenged the norms and how they've redefined their organizations and ultimately themselves as leaders. Also, you can answer this one question. How are you redefining your leadership? Perhaps the boldest question yet. Conversations that matter. Inspiration for us all, whether you're kicking off your career or crafting your legacy. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Nanaz, this is going to be great. Uh, We've got Troy Vinson today from the NFL. We're going to learn a lot about American football, which as you sit in London, I'm sure is going to be quite curious and interesting for you. I am super excited, Clark, uh, to meet Troy. He is uh, the only player in history to have received both the NFL Walter Payton um, Man of the Year Award, as well as the Players Association Byron Wizard White Award. And there are a number of other sporting accolades as well. So super excited to learn what football really means um, in your terminology, but actually also really excited um to see what some of the lessons are that we can learn from the field and apply to the boardroom or the office. So I have the great chance over the last uh, number of years that my son Liam and I, who's 19, we, we go to the Super Bowl each year. And the big, big deal is not just the game, but the night before is the NFL Honors Dinner. And the last award is the Walter Payton Award, which is in essence the greatest person and, and, and what they give back to the world. Uh, and Troy's a winner of that. So my son thinks he's more pumped about this podcast uh, than I am, but, but he's wrong. He's wrong. Okay. So it's all selfish for me. So we're really pumped, really pumped. And Troy, it is awesome to be with you today. Couldn't be more excited. Troy, thank you for joining us on Redefiners. Thanks for having me, Clark and Anas. I'm going to start with a very basic question. Um, so I, I am from London. Um, for me, football is something very different. It's 11 players dressed in a simple T-shirt and shorts. And they're not allowed to touch the ball. They only kick the ball. Can you, for me and all our non-American listeners, summarize the crux of American football? And it's less about the rules because we can read all of that online. But what are the skills or the personality traits that are needed to make a really excellent world-class football player? Is it brute force, which kind of looks like that to me as an outsider. Is it resilience? Skill, skill, skill. Okay. That brute, when they call it like brute force, that's overrated. We say skill beats talent, in particular when talent is not willing to work. It is played by 11 men or women. Though the the ball is not round, it's oval. Mm Mm-hmm which is what we would consider real football. Um, And as people think about American football, it's really a skillful sport that develops a lot of different personality traits. It really assists in the development of who you are, resiliency, hard work, communication. And it's something that's easily played. And you don't have to be a phenomenal athlete. You don't have to be a great athlete. You can show up there in football. There is a position for everyone. Hmm. That sounds like a very inclusive game. 
before we move on, for my benefit, you, you say skill, not talent. Can you sort of help me understand what the difference between the two is? So each of us were giving certain talents yeah. as we were born. Like we just have certain talents. But skill is something that's actually controllable, okay. whether it's kicking a ball, whether it's sw swinging a baseball bat. These repetitive behaviors, which we consider skill, that if someone masters, there's a place for you, at least this level, there's a place for you in the sport. You used to always hear the great, the legendary, God bless his soul, Kobe Bryant. Used to always talk about not getting bored with the basics of the game. And those are those skill things like dribbling, shooting a free throw, backpedaling, catching, throwing. So when I think about a skill, those are things that can be enhanced with repetition. You had 15 successful years as a player. Um, you then moved on to serve um, subsequently as the president of the Players Association and are now on the executive team. Can we talk a bit about you? Um, how did you get into the game? What was life like as a player? And then tell us a little bit about the transition to the front office and off the field. I played one year high school sports, once a year high school football, went on, earned a scholarship, University of Wisconsin. I actually learned the game itself and the nuances of the game while in college. So I was really 19, 20, as I was really learning, okay, how does this game actually work? The science, the engineering, you know, how does all of this work? Drafted, fast forward, had an opportunity to play. But during my 15 years on the field, I was very intentional about developing certain skills for my position. And then the same thing applied off the field. Every off season, during the year, days off, really trying to master certain skills that I that I was hoping or that other leaders or my coaches had shared with me that may be transferable skills, communication, presence, resiliency, game planning, all of those things applied in, in my life today and, and what I do today as chief football officer. If you look, uh, Troy, you literally played both sides of the line uh, to be in the NFL executive offices and being on the field. Is there a defining moment or a redefining moment for your career uh, that, that you think about that we might learn from? This is after the Ravens. I want to say it's the 95 or 96 Super Bowl win. It was one of those two years. We were in preseason in Philly, and there was a decision that had to be made on whether we were going to play this exhibition game. The playing surfaces were not up to standard. Huh. So in Philly, we shared a stadium with the Philadelphia Phillies. And at the time, that surface was like, it was like turf that you put on your back patio. Right. And first base, second base, third base, the pitcher's mound had these lumps and divots. Mm. And... They were dangerous. So at the time, we had to make a decision, thinking about the ramifications of how many people this would affect. Mm. Not only the players, the fans, your game day workers, everyone that was associated with putting on a live venue. And you, you, 
gather coaches, you gather players first, and we walked the field and we said, this is dangerous. And it was a huge liability to the city because the city actually owned Veterans Stadium. Got it. So having to make that decision, Clark, of, of saying that we were not going to proceed and play this game due to the conditions. And was that when you started to kind of become the leader, off the field leader about issues as it relates to football that led to this career? It was a moment. Hmm. It was one of many, but it was a defining moment, young. And you made a decision that that had a financial impact and a physical impact. Hmm. And if it's about player health and safety being first, you know, communicating with the commissioner at the time, yeah. communicating with the League of the Players Association to say, collectively, we can't move forward. That really kind of set a precedent of, okay, we're going to do things. There's a way that we have to go about our business. When you talk about doing business, um, in some of the businesses in the last year, there's a group of 180, 181 CEOs, part of the business roundtable, who about a year and a half ago said, um, it's more about stakeholders and the broader world not just the equity owners, the shareholders. It's about customers, employees, suppliers, communities. This is kind of a community moment you're talking about. How do you all think about the different stakeholders and the purpose of football in the modern world? So I would say everyone's a stakeholder. Great question. I look at who are the key stakeholders? Mm -hmm. Club owners, who are the investors? The right. players, that's your entertainment. And your fans, if you can keep those three stakeholders at the forefront, we typically make good decisions when all three are represented. But everybody counts to make it work. Everybody matters. And Troy, how have you learned to manage all those stakeholders? Because I imagine, you know, it's not that you have direct command and control, right? It, it's managing them through influence, right? Indirectly. And just to translate it to the to the corporate world, that is one of the skills that is the hardest, right? Is when you have to, uh, you know, whether it's, it's a CEO, a business unit leader, whatever the role is, is the ability to manage subtly through influence rather than, you know, you go do that. Well, it's an interesting dynamic when you think about the players, the coaches, club owners, you got these egos. Yeah. And what does work for, for myself personally is being a great listener. It's so important that everybody knows that they're important, their position, whether you agree or disagree, but it's important that they're being heard. I'm sure that also helps in the personal life. I know you've got two daughters, right? Two daughters yeah. and three young sons. Okay. Oh, my goodness. That listening helps with girls, that's, that's for sure. A, that's a lot of listening right there, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes. That is critical. Their perception is their reality. Till they tell you otherwise. You talked about egos. So you may have the veteran high score, great, great receiver, quarterback, or some hot, hot, hot top recruit early in the draft, uh, doesn't know the NFL. How do you manage those egos? Because they all need to get their chance to perform, but some may, may have to wait a little longer to perform, but they got a strong ego. How do you look at that? Well, you remind them. First of all, you meet them where they are. You remind them that they are the future of the game. Mm. That gets it. I'm, I'm now kind of playing into the ego a little bit. <laughs> but it's true that you are the future of the game. 
the, and you've had a great, fantastic high school career. You were an all-American Heisman Trophy winner, blase, blase in college. Let me remind you that there was, have you ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Jerry Rice <laughs> or Emmett Smith or mm-hmm. Reggie White or Jim Brown? So there's a reminder in a subtle way that we have seen, in particular, at your position, we've seen greatness. <laughs> so you're not the first person that's jumped over someone. You're not the first person to score 21 touchdowns. And just bringing them along the way to say we all, myself included, we're all are drinking from wells from which we did not dig. And there's a place for you. Learn the history. Mm. Learn the game. But it's important that they know that they have arrived. Drinking from wells that you did not dig. I am going to yeah. take that one home. I, I just it. want you to know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we all, and Clark, we all, myself included, we all are drinking from wells that we did not dig. Mm. Mm. Troy, I'd like to talk about, you mentioned um, inclusion. I want to talk a little bit about DE&I. Um, it's something that has affected me personally. I'm ethnic minority living in the UK, moved here when there weren't a lot of immigrants, um, sort of 30 odd years ago. And I started life as an engineer in a world which was, you know, 90% male. Uh, I read an interview with you in Forbes a couple of years ago, where you said something along the lines of uh, diversity is a fact, inclusion is a choice. I love the sentiment behind that. I love the directness. At the end of the day, diversity is a fact. Who you are Mm. and who I am. I was born a black American. That is, that's a fact. But inclusion is an actual choice. And who I include is a choice in the hiring process. Who I'm going to interview. All of those things are choices. And you lead right from where you are because you can't lead on anything that you're actually not practicing daily. And you got to be intentional. Diversity, equity, and now inclusion, it's messy. And it's necessary messiness. Why? To get to the place where you want to be. Now, every company has to define what that looks like and how they get there and who they're getting there with. I think comparing the corporation and and the sports teams being intentional, I completely agree. And the world in the last year has realized it needed to be a hell of a lot more intentional than it might have been before to make progress. In 2003, um, the NFL put the Rooney Rule in place, which for, for those European listeners is the requirement that every team with a head coaching vacancy interview at least one or more diverse candidates. Is it working? Are we making progress? Is the intentionality creating change, getting over these bumps? Has it worked? There has been progress there. But let's keep this in mind. The Rooney Rule is a tool, and as other organizations, other leaders are listening in. That's why I, I love listening to the redefiners because it's it really gives people a chance to go back and reimagine and redefine where they are. When you speak specifically to the Rooney Rule, it's a tool. It's a tool to increase minority, in particular, black coaches' visibility in the hiring process. If you really want to make change, you have to look at your core of your hiring practices. Who's at the table matters because yeah. of perspectives. Yep, It really does. 
Let's take a quick break to hear from Brad Ben, an executive director with Russell Reynolds Associates in New York. Brad's going to give us some advice on how to expand Black representation in the leadership of your organization. Diverse teams outperform homogeneous ones. Numerous studies we conducted and those of our peers highlight this fact. But if the data so convincingly proves that diversity leads to higher levels of business performance, why do so many firms struggle to attract, retain, and promote ethnically diverse leaders into executive roles, especially Black professionals? We wanted to know more, so we spoke with Black founders, CEOs, and C-suite leaders who started their careers in traditional roles within corporate America, but left to fulfill their leadership potential through less conventional career paths. These conversations were very illuminating. We arrived at three recommendations for organizations looking to expand Black representation at upper levels of leadership. First, ensure promotion and compensation processes are truly founded on meritocracy and that the company is compensating, supporting, and continually learning from talent in an equitable manner. Second, be intentional in supporting the development of rising Black leaders and consider what additional steps may be necessary to create equity. Third, challenge and redefine notions around what's required for an executive to be successful in a role. To learn about how you can build a more diverse and equitable organization that leads to increased growth, innovation, and culture, go to russellreynolds.com insights. And now let's get back to our conversation with Troy Vincent. Troy, and again, this, this is because I'm naive when it comes to the sport. Is diversity more of an issue in the back office when it comes, as you said, to sort of the coaches? The, the perception that we have is that, at least as far as the players are concerned, it's a relatively even field. Is, is that a completely wrong perception? It's a distorted perception. And it's not even perception, it's a reality. 80% of our players are people of color. Yeah. When you look at those who are in what we call primary positions, the business side or the football side, those individuals that are actually decision makers are not women or people of color for the most part. Okay. And, and here, so important that the, the data tells us that. When you look at who's involved in the hiring practice, mm. who's making the decision, there's some commonality there. Mm. So that's when I say that's it's it. so important that everybody has to be involved to get to better outcomes. Is it less about getting people into the business it's, or into the sport? It's more making sure that the right people are filtered up. And that's something that we've had to fight. Okay. So if you, if you notice, over the last 24 months, when you hear someone say there's no pipeline, which is the farthest thing from the truth, think about this. There's no pipeline. Where do they exist? Stop it. That's an excuse. The pipeline has always been there for men, women, you name it. We have just lacked given the opportunity mm. saying yes to those individuals. And this is where leaders have to just begin thinking about that. Is it a fair and equal process? When you have your interview slate, who's there? If you're bringing in 10 people, those 10 people, should it should be a very diverse slate, right. not diverse just in color. It's the world we live in. I agree with you. The, the, whether it's the business world or the sports world, the last 20 years have given the greatest single opportunity for every single matter of diversity 
because of the experiences of the last 20 years. It's, it's yes. the moment. The yes. depth of the roster is the best it's ever been. Yes, no question. They're innovative. They're bright. You name it. We're just not providing opportunities to these individuals. Question a little bit different. Um, if we look at the Supreme Court ruling on NCAA and compensation <laughs> to college students, uh, college athletes, what's your point of view on that, having played in college? What impact does that have on the NFL? So I'm not speaking on behalf of the National Football League. Okay. So, Clark, my answer will be, as a former student athlete and as a father of a current student athlete, so I'm coming full circle on my experience, what I'm seeing, and now what is actually playing out. That's another system that was set up that way that was broken. Hmm. When I go to a stadium on a Saturday afternoon with my wife and 100 and 110,000 people are, are in this stadium cheering for their favorite team. And five hours later, I get a text from my son asking me to take a few of his teammates to the store. That's a problem. When those young men that I'm about to take to go grab some just essentials to make it from day to day, when five hours ago, that individual was scoring touchdowns and people were buying his jersey, yet they don't have what it takes to make it. That's a problem. So I say that in context of we just got to find a better way. And people say, well, is it about paying the athlete what happens to the academics? Yeah, I know I came there on scholarship to learn. No one told me that it was going to look and feel like this. So we got work to do there. I'm happy that the states have recognized that there's an imbalance. But, Clark, this just goes back to the greed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, come on. Coaches are making millions and millions of dollars. The institutions, millions, millions of dollars. And then the student athletes left there like, wait a minute, I was part of this success, but I'm not reaping that benefit. And you just can't solely keep it on where we're giving you a scholarship to get a free education. Yeah, it's not so, equitable. It's not equitable. It's not equitable. Yeah. Troy, can we talk a little bit about innovation? All successful Ooh. businesses need to innovate, right? They're, and they're going to be disruptors in the way that will challenge your business. When it comes to the NFL, what are some of the disruptors that you're most maybe wary of? And what are some of the ways that you think the game can innovate and change? Well, I think it's blue sky when it comes to innovation because we're a very, very traditionalist sport, at least at this level. Think about our sidelines. So, Clark, the sidelines of professional college and high school football is the same exact sideline it looked, feels the same benches that it was six, seven, eight, nine, ten decades ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the integration of innovation and tradition, we have to be innovative. That digital athlete, mm -hmm. you know, now what we learn, you see the chips the ne with next-gen stats. And now it's really just catching up to what's out there and how do you integrate that properly? into our sport for both the player, the coach, and the fan. Be great. 
be great. One, one uh, very important one, but quick one. Um, you and your wife founded the Love Thy Neighbor Foundation. What was the inspiration for that, and, and what strikes you as the most important element of what that foundation can do for the world? Well, Love Thy Neighbor was founded by my wife and I back in the early 90s. It was really about making a difference in the community, Clark. It was that simple. It's about giving back. So, and now with with five beautiful children, four beautiful grandchildren, Love Thy Neighbor represents how we can engage with local communities and giving young people an opportunity that they may not have had. Is there one project that has touched you personally the most or that you're most proud of, Troy? Just recently, over the last five years, my wife and I, each year at the Super Bowl and in the draft, we put on an event called Safe Zone. And that's an event at an elementary school that we would say we adopt or we partner with. Mm -hmm. And seeing those three to 500 kids smile. We're still going in communities where if not for the school system, this child is not having a meal. Right. It's 2021 in America. It's heart-wrenching. One of the worst moments of COVID is when they couldn't get to school to get a hot meal. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. So those things um, are things that we, we just love doing and we love doing with other people, partners, and volunteers. Well, more power to you. That's why you got the Peyton Award. Well, Troy, we end each uh, podcast with some rapid-fire questions. And we'll ask you a series of questions and you, you answer as, as honestly and, <laughs> and quickly as you can. Okay, I'm ready. All right. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Julius Irvin. <laughs> he, uh, he was a famous NBA basketball player, played for the Philadelphia 76ers. I wanted to be Julius Irvin. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to elaborate. <laughs> I, I don't know yes. Julius Irvin. you you got to give me a little bit more. So, Nanaz, growing up in, in Jersey, South Jersey, at the time, the basketball, the NBA basketball team was like, that was the organization. That was okay. a team to follow. And they were there was an individual named Julius Irving, like Michael Jordan, yeah. like Kobe Bryant. I wanted to be like Julius Irving. Well, you, you, you beat him, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> no, no. I'm like nine inches shorter. <laughs> uh, couldn't shoot. Got um, second question. Who's the mentor that's had the biggest impact on you? Mentor that's had the biggest impact on me was my grandfather, Jefferson Vincent, a World War II veteran. He raised me, wow. showed me what life was, was about and how to care for people. Great man. What does um, success mean to you now? Seeing other people win. Celebrating other people's victories. What's your favorite movie or TV binge watch? Recognizing that with a full-time job, four grandkids and five kids, you may not have much time to do that. But if you did, what would it be? I'm going to go on record to say this. And I... My wife has me watching the Golden Girls. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I would never have guessed that. The, please. I know. I mean, literally, we watched the Golden Girls, and I'm like, it's, just, it's not even HD. Anymore. I mean, it's like the Golden Girls. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. Yes. Talk about Redefiner. Dude, you just yes. redefined NFL TV. Yes. <laughs> and it's funny. You watch and go, look at these ladies. It's hysterical. Yes, the Golden Girls. That's good. If you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, who would it be and why? If, if I can spend a day in someone else's shoes, my wife, my wife, Tommy, just watching her sacrifices, 
the rearing of our children and watching how she just handles not only myself, but our children, and our grandchildren. Um, and just knowing her journey in life, you know, her perspective, her point of view, I would I would be fascinating. I wish all husbands would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a wonderful answer. And the last one for you. Um, what does being a redefiner mean to you, Troy? Someone different, someone who cares about people, someone who counts on people more than plans and structures. A redefiner is someone that's willing to do the things that are necessary to make the right decisions for the right reasons. Listen, Troy, you are amazing. You're an inspiration on and off the field. I bet your grandchildren are going to be amazing people, just like your grandfather helped make you an amazing person. Thank you so, so much for being here. We wish you luck in the innovation and the operations of the NFL. Danaz, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Clark. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more dynamic insights from leaders from across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com, find us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter at RA on Leadership. See you next time.